Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 23 on when Abraham's wife Sarah dies and how Abraham learned how God has not promised to keep him from troubles, but God has promised to be a friend and comforter to him through troubles. Now, Tom Cantor's written a powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a book that will show you scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. Now, over 500 scriptures are denoted in this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecies and Fulfillments. It's an amazing study that shows how Jesus of Nazareth was not just a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. It's a must-have for any Christian at Christmas time, and it's a great gift to give any Jewish person for Hanukkah or who may be searching for the truth and evidence in the scriptures of who the Messiah really is. Now, you can order this book from Tom Cantor called Prophecy and Fulfillment for a donation of $20 or more by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. With your donation of $20 or more, get the Tom Cantor Prophecy and Fulfillment book, and it supports this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God and Jewish Evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries. So again, call us for this book at 800 247 3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on friendship with God, teaching us from the life of Abraham. This is all the background. This is all the basis for what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to yet done, whether it be good or bad. Now, there's another sense Another point in which we look at the last part of verse 1 in Genesis 23, it says these are the years of the life of Sarah. It's not the years of the life of Sarah and Abraham. It's the years of the life of Sarah. Just Sarah. These were the years of the life of Sarah. She stood alone, apart from Abraham. We never have read in Genesis, and we never will read in Genesis, and God spoke to Abraham and Sarah. That's why it's best for a husband to have his own quiet time alone with God and for a wife to have her own quiet time alone with God. And then it's fine for them to have a time together with God, but there must be this alone time for each of them individually. Abraham was married to Sarah when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, but when God called Abraham, God made a point of how he called Abraham in Isaiah 51.2, where he told the the Jewish nation, he said, Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him, not them, I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. See, God called Abraham alone. Sarah learned that God had called them to leave, because Abraham told Sarah, probably. And the same was true of Adam in Genesis 2, where we read in Genesis 2, 16 through 18, where it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now the next verse is important. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet for him. So what does that mean? It means that when God told Adam that, he was alone. Obviously, we know that. 
But he was alone. And so God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before Eve was even created. And after God told Adam not to eat of the tree, then God created Eve. So Eve learned that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because Adam told her. Sarah had her own life with God. And Abraham had his own life with God. And so then we that that land that says here, the land of Canaan, was where she died. And that was a land. We look at the land of Canaan. We should think to ourselves, and how did she think to herself? She looked at it and she said, that's my promised land. That's the land that God promised to us. It's as much as Sarah's, as much as Abraham. Because God saw them both as one. But it says she died in the land of Canaan. So for 60 years, she looks out of her tent and she sees this land that's occupied and possessed by the most ungodly people. And she gets impressed as she's looking at there. But this is the land that God has promised to us. And this land is not being inhabited by people who honor God and love God and obey God. And she dies that way. She dies. She dies. She never saw the land of promise become her land. That land was promised to Abraham and Sarah, but she died without receiving it. She believed that she would receive it, but when she died, she hadn't received it. She died in faith. She died in faith, believing God's going to keep that promise, but she didn't see it in her day. That scene of Sarah looking over a land that was promised to her and then dying without receiving it, that's a perfect picture of what it says in Hebrews 11.13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Didn't receive, but they saw them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them, confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We're all going to die, more than likely, that way, in faith, faith, looking forward to receiving God's promise, as he said in John 14, where he promises heaven, but we're not going to be like Enoch, we're going to die in faith, and that's the way it's going to be. But yet, while we're alive, we see heaven afar off, like she did. We see the promise of God afar off in the word of God, as we read it. So this is the way this chapter opens here, in these words. And chapter 23 is opening this way. Chapter 23 is also opening as we read it with, we thought about Sarah now, but now we want to think about Abraham and what chapter 23 represents for Abraham is a whole new trial for the friend of God. I mean, here's Abraham. He's a friend of God. And now he has to part with his friend, his best human friend on earth, Sarah. It's hard to imagine as he's there and he's all the memories and the thoughts that went through Abraham's mind. And now this new trial has just come here. She died. And it comes right on the heels of the trial of having to offer up Isaac. See, we can see this is what this is showing here. This is like, oh, man, doesn't he get a rest? Doesn't the poor guy get a break? It's like one trial after another. And there's a lesson for us there. As a Job, he puts it this way in Job 5.7. Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. In Job 14.1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Full of trouble. You know, sparks for us. We can picture him sitting there watching a grinding wheel and it's throwing off sparks. And he sees one spark after another and he says, that's my life. He said, those sparks are the trouble and that's my life. One trouble after another. And this is what we as believers are to expect as well. God did not promise Abraham, I'm going to keep you out of troubles. And God did not promise Job, I'm going to keep you out of troubles. And God does not promise us that he's going to keep us out of trouble. But even though... We are not promised to be kept from troubles. We are promised to have a friend in those troubles that sticks closer than a brother. And in Proverbs 18, 24, as it says, that friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as it says. It says in Hebrews 13.5, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So even though we're not promised to be kept from troubles, we are promised to have this friend. We're promised also to have a special comforter in the sense to comfort us through each one of those troubles, each one of those trials. That comforter we know is the Holy Spirit of Christ. He's the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. He said in John 15, 26, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So if we ask, if we ask this question, how's the comforter going to comfort us through in all the troubles that we go through? He's going to comfort us, he says, by teaching you all things. Teaching from what? The Word of God. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. He's going to cause us to remember what? What the Lord Jesus Christ has said to us in the Word of God. He's the Spirit of truth. That's how we know him, this is the, the spirit of truth. As we read about the word of God, as he said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. He's going to testify of me. He's going to confirm who the Lord Jesus Christ is as we learn about him from the word of God. All this comfort he brings is through the word of God. And if we neglect the word of God, then we're in trouble because we miss the comfort. Now, we see in verse 3 that the death of Sarah caused Abraham to just broke him. He was bent over, evidently, in mourning and weeping, so much that when Abraham stops mourning and weeping, it says in verse 3 that Abraham stood up from before his dead. And we saw in our last study there that what Abraham meant when he said in, verses, in verse 4, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. You know, each patriarch in the Bible had that same life statement. He says, give me a statement about your life. And they would say, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. You know, that's why John Bunyan's book has such the wonderful title, Pilgrim's Progress, describing the life of Christians. It's Pilgrim's Progress. Jacob, Jacob in particular, had this testimony about himself. And it's interesting with Jacob, because of all people that he should give this testimony about his life to, it's Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You know, we don't have to read about very many interactions between Jacob and Pharaoh. And, you know, they weren't in, this, they weren't in, in the same economic uh, strata. But anyway, when Pharaoh met Jacob for the first time, I don't know what, what Jacob must have looked like, but it really impressed Pharaoh. He just saw this man. He says, boy, does he look so aged? He looks so old. He looks so beaten down. So Pharaoh's like wanted to say, what happened to you in life? You know, <laughs> what is it with you? And so you might want to turn to that in Genesis 47, because it's interesting what actually occurs here when Joseph, the prime minister, brings in Jacob, his father, and he says he sets him before Pharaoh, it says there. And then it says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So you turn to that, Genesis 47, 7, 47, 7 through 10. And I want you to notice that, in particular, as we look at this, how the end of verse 7 says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And then you know, and then look at, the, at verse 10, at the end of their discourse, it says again, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So what, did, what was Jacob doing there? He was blessing Pharaoh, in case you missed it. It says they started at the beginning, at the end he's blessing Pharaoh. So okay, so what happened? All right. So he looks at him, and he says, boy, does this guy look like he's been through the ringer? What happened here? So Pharaoh says to him, how old art thou? 
He says, you know, he's if this, if this, you know, and, you know, you can just hear this in Pharaoh's voice saying, you know, you look like you're 300 years old. So <laughs> just exactly how old are you? And then Jacob, he doesn't just tell him, he says, well, you know, I'm 130 years old or whatever. He doesn't do that. Jacob knows what Pharaoh is asking. You know, he understands. He says, I know what you're doing. I know you're looking at me. And you say, what happened to you? You look so worn out. You look so destroyed. And by the way, when we get to heaven, we better look like we've been through a battle. <laughs> okay. You know, beat up helmet, bloodied armor. Otherwise, they're going to say, how come you don't look like you've been through a battle? You know, anyway. Okay, we're now there with Jacob, and he's been asked by Pharaoh, you know, verse 8, Genesis 47, 8. How old art thou? And now Jacob, he's going to answer Pharaoh, and what he says is interesting because it's more than just an answer of how old he is. He starts by characterizing his life, and he says to Pharaoh, he says, the days of the years. Jacob is looking out over his life now, and he's talking to Pharaoh, and what does he see? He sees days. He sees individual days. He sees the day that he stole his brother's birthright. And he says, that was a tense day. (laughs) He looks back, he sees the day that he deceived his father to get the blessing. And he says, that was another tense day. And he sees the day that God met him at Bethel with the ladder. And he said, that was a good day. We'll return with Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program here and our Bible study in just a moment. Now, if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading and listening to these messages on the go, we would like to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program so we can continue broadcasting on radio stations as well as providing free listening and free download through our websites at friendshipwithgod.org, itunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast, and through sermonaudio.com. So please support the Friendship with God radio program by donating today. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Again, you can call us now or after the program, but support this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God, 800 247 3051. Support us online at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and supporting Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. And he sees the day when he saw Rachel for the first time and he kissed her and he cried and he says, that was an exciting day. And then he says, he sees the day when he woke up in the bed and found it was Leah with him and not Rachel. And he says, that was an angry day. <laughs> and he sees the day when he finally married Rachel, and we can be sure that he lifted the veil up uh, the night before, make sure it was Rachel. <laughs> and he says that, that was a finally day. And he sees the day when he met God in Genesis 32, and he wrestled with God, and he got his name changed from Jacob to Israel, and he said, that was the best day of my life. And then he sees the day when he saw Joseph's coat all with blood all over it, and he said, that was a sad day. And he sees the day when Joseph was alive, and he said, that was a happy day. So he's answering, giving this answer to Pharaoh's question about how old he is, and he says, I see days which have made up the spectrum of my life. I see this day and that day. He says, the days, that's what our days are. That's what our life is. Our life is made up of days. It's very important we look at our life as each day is a challenge with new opportunities. For the Christian who walks with God, each day is never the same old, same old. It's never that way. Because each day is an exciting opportunity to meet God and to meet the challenge of the day with God. It's an opportunity to start with God. It's a meeting with God with the prayer of dedication. Oh God, I give myself to you, Romans 12.1. 
Asking God to help us. Give me the strength, the grace that I need so that I can honor you today, so I won't fail you today, so I'll trust you with all my heart, so I won't lean to my own understanding, as it says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Or in Isaiah 33, 2. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. And in Psalm 143, 8, David says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul to thee. And then at the evening... That's why there was both a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. So the first one's a morning sacrifice. Then in the evening, that's the time to be like the one out of the ten that turned back to give God thanks. That's the time at the end of every day to look back on the day and thank God for those mercies and those compassions and those loving kindness and the help and the strength for the day. And we do that. We like lift up our hands to the Lord, as it says, as David talked about, he says, I lift up my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so Jacob, looking back over the spectrum, he says, altogether I see these days that made up the years. I see, and when I see those days, I see a pilgrimage. I see a walking. I see a journeying. I see this world as just the road to heaven. I won't make this world my home. I won't settle down in this world. I won't let you print an address that says, Jacob, world. And Jacob tells Pharaoh, I'm on a pilgrimage, and this world is not my home. And you think about who Jacob is talking to. <laughs> you think about who he's telling this to. It's Pharaoh. It's the richest man on earth. It's the most powerful man in this world who had every reason to make this home his home because the world was his, Pharaoh's. But as Jacob looked at Pharaoh and Egypt, he saw what we've been talking about in 1 John 2, 16-17. Jacob looks around Egypt and he says, I see. I see lust of the flesh. He looks around Egypt and he says, I see lust of the eyes. He looks around Egypt and he says, I see the pride of life. And I see it's not of God, but it's of the world. And I see this world is passing away and the lust thereof. But I see the person who does the will of God, and that could be Pharaoh, that he will abide forever. So he sees all of this, and then he does something. Jacob does something which is very challenging for us. He fixes his eyes on Pharaoh, and he saw. He looks at Pharaoh, and he says, I've seen what's in the world. I've seen the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now I see Pharaoh, and I see Pharaoh as a soul trapped in this world that's going to pass away. And so Jacob looks at Pharaoh, and he doesn't see the richest, most powerful man in the world. He says, a poor, poor soul, weak, trapped by the world, ready to pass away into oblivion with the world. And when he does that, as he looks on Pharaoh, as Jacob looks on Pharaoh, he does what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he looked at the young man, the young rich man in Mark 10, 21, where it says, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross and follow me. Take up the cross and follow me. See, that verse, that verse in Mark 10, 21, is the key to effective evangelism. The goal of effective evangelism is not to persuade a person with the offer that, well, why wouldn't you want a free ticket to heaven? Why don't you want a million dollars too? And all you have to do is pray this one, two, three, repeat after me prayer. 
The goal of effective evangelism is to get a lost person to become a child of God, abandon this world, and come with us and start making his own way on his pilgrimage to heaven. Make that his life. And the way, the way to effectively evangelize a lost person involves these three steps in Mark 10, 21. They're stated to us in Mark 10, 21. And those three steps are, number one, Mark 10, 21, and Jesus beholding him. And you just stop there. That's the first step, beholding him. The first step to effective evangelism is to bring the gospel to a lost person, is just to behold him, which means take time to be impressed with his lost state. Look perceptively at him and let God impress us with his lost state. Listen carefully to what he is saying and let God impress us with his lost state. Think about him to let God impress us with his lost state. That's all meant by beholding him, the lost person. And here we need the Lord Jesus Christ to help us, to help us to see as he sees, with our eyes as he sees, and hear with our ears as he hears, and perceive with our minds as he perceives the lost state. Then the next step, too, in Mark 10, 21, it says, Jesus beholding him loved him. Jesus beholding him loved him. See, that's step two, loved him. The second step to effectively bringing the gospel to a lost person is to love him. Love of compassion, love of empathy, love of feeling his lost state, where we ask God, break our hearts for his lost condition. And here again, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us a heart for that lost person. See, the first step of beholding him is gathering information about his lost state. The second step is our response to that information, which is love and compassion for his lost state. See, to not do the first step to not do the first step of beholding him is to be, we don't do the first step of beholding him, it's just we get so caught up with our method of evangelism, we get so caught up with our Bible verses that we have to, we have to unload on them that we could be talking to an orangutan and it wouldn't matter. And the lost know that when we really don't care to listen to them or to behold them. And to not do the second step of loving him in evangelism is to be the tin man in the Wizard of Oz with no heart, no feeling. And the lost know that too when we really don't care about them. And then the third step in Mark 10, 21, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said. The third step is the and said. The third step to effectively bring the gospel to a lost person is to tell them, tell them. This is to effectively communicate the gospel, but in a way that's tailor-made for his needs. And here again, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives the word in season. We need him to give us just the right words to speak. He's the great designer, the great tailor. He has to give us these words. You know, we don't read in the Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ told anyone else that he should go sell everything he owns and give it to the poor and follow him. That's a message. That was a tailor-made message for this man who needed it because he saw his wealth was standing in between him and God. And to only see a person in their lost state and to only have compassion and only to love the person but not to tell them the gospel is to fall short, desperately short. The gospel is a spoken message. And a person cannot be saved without the word. It says in Romans 10, 14 through 15, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Heard. You know, Isaiah 53, 1 starts off, Who hath believed our report? The word report is Shemuel, which comes from Shema, or Shimon, Simon. Hear. Who has believed this hearing? It was told. Who believes what they heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach, declare, 
the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good news. I was in Africa one time, I was traveling on a plane and I was sitting next to a Christian and I was telling him, you know, oh, what are you trying to do in Ethiopia? And I said, well, we're trying to, and I was trying to put in my mind of uh, telling him the gospel. He says, and the African man, he says, you want to bring them the good news. I thought, yeah, that's right. That's what the Bible says here. Bring, bring it along, the glad tidings of good things. Now, just think now, as I'm thinking now also, of some lost soul or souls that you're going to encounter this week. Think about it. Some lost soul that you're going to encounter this week. And ask God, as I've been asking God myself, to help you with these three steps to effectively evangelize that lost soul this week. That God would help you to behold that lost person and see as God sees them and hear as God hears and see the lostness as we've never seen it before of their soul. And love that person with a compassion, the compassion of God for his lost state. And then speak a tailor-made gospel message from God for that lost person. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program, we want to encourage you to support it with a donation, one time, online at friendshipwithgod.org. But if you'd like to be one of our monthly supporters, you can call us at 800-247-3051. You can also call us with a one-time donation as well, too. But call us directly at 800-247-3051. And for any donation of $100 or more, we will send you Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's over 2,200 pages with over 600 pages of Bible helps. has a genuine lambskin leather cover and gold lettering. It's got over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It has over 20 full-color custom maps and timelines. It's got a full 1,500-word Bible concordance. It's got the most popular Bible scriptures to study and memorize section. It's got a prophecy and fulfillment section, names of the Messiah section, the life of Joseph study section, and so many other amazing Bible helps. It's yours for a donation of $100. We'll be shipping this in January. You can order it today, pre-order it. For a donation of $100 or more, we'll send it to you. Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study Bible. Call us, 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051.